Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're turning to the New Testament, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You'll find our reading on page 961 of the Blue Pew Bibles, page 961, and we're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 26. Now, this is Paul's long chapter on the resurrection of Jesus, what it means, some of its implications, and we're going to be thinking about these verses later in our service. So 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12 and reading down to verse 26. This is God's word to us. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be, to be destroyed is death. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, at this point in our service, let me say thank you to everyone who's been involved in the service today. Men, we aced it again, didn't we? We aced it again. I kind of think we should make a CD, but that's down the line, maybe. Uh, big thank you to Florence Woodburn, Grace Reed, and Stuart Stevenson for their help in training the men and uh, for working with us over the past few weeks. I really appreciate all their work and help. Uh, thank you as well to the praise group for leading our singing this morning and also for bringing us their offering peace as well. We're going to turn to the Bible for a minute or two now, and we're going to think about the verses that we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, you'll find that passage on page 961 of the Pew Bibles. And as you're flicking to that passage, uh, let's pray for a moment together. Father, this morning we're thankful that we can come not only to survey the wondrous cross, but also to think about the glorious mystery of Jesus' resurrection. We thank you that we meet together this morning with hope in our hearts, and we pray that as we look at these verses in 1 Corinthians 15, that you would bring it home to us, that these things are really true, that we can really know that you are alive and risen and exalted and that you are the one who's still at work in our world today. Father, bless our time in your word. Come by your spirit and help us to understand this passage. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
David Bedell wrote a famous song along with two friends. The song is called It's Coming Home and it's the anthem of the England international football team. Even if you don't know the song, you've probably heard it at some point. The song was released in 1998 and it's played before, during and after every major international football tournament. The song made David Bedell and his two friends famous, more famous than they already were. And now David Bedell has written a book. And the book is called The God Desire. And Bedell considers it a slam dunk argument against the existence of God. In an interview with a national newspaper, Bedell said that we all have a God desire and that it manifests itself in lots of different ways. He said, football fills a God-shaped hole, I think, because it makes you feel connected to something beside you. It is, in a small way, eternal. His book has just been released. I don't have a copy, not intending to buy one either. It it doesn't seem like a particularly deep critique of the truths of Christianity, but it, it reflects modern thinking that God doesn't exist, that we're not accountable to him, and that it doesn't matter how we offend him or tarnish his name. The, the, the thing about modern atheists like David Bedell is that there's a lack of engagement with the evidence provided by Christianity, pr- pr- provided about Christianity. In, in the Bible, there is evidence that cannot be disputed about the central pillars of the Christian faith. One of those central pillars is that Jesus Christ, the, the man at the center of the Christian faith, died and rose again. It can be historically verified that a man called Jesus lived around 2,000 years ago and what the Bible tells us is that he died but he rose again. Lots of people struggle to believe that. Lots of people don't believe that. Yet this unbelief is nothing new. Sometimes we can be very worried by influential people like David Bedell. They have a platform, a following. They can say whatever they want and people will listen to them. But, but, but unbelief, particularly about the resurrection of Jesus, is nothing new. In fact, one of the main authors of the New Testament dealt with that issue in a letter that he wrote to the ancient church. We've read part of that letter this morning. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul deals with objections to the resurrection and he provides a slam dunk argument for the truth that Jesus has risen and is alive. The section that we read earlier was 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 26. 1 Corinthians 15 is a long chapter and it's a quite, a, quite a complicated one at different points. But it's a chapter that focuses on the truth and implications of the resurrection of Jesus. Lots of people in Paul's day believed that death extinguished life completely or led to a permanent but shadowy existence in the underworld The concept of a physical, embodied existence after death was part of fables, fairy stories, and wasn't taken seriously at all. It's likely that this kind of thinking had infected the church. It's also likely that believers in Corinth wrote to Paul asking him lots of questions about this issue. 1 Corinthians is his response to their questions. And 1 Corinthians 15 deals with the matter of the resurrection. In the first part of the chapter, Paul talks about the evidence for the resurrection. It fulfilled the scriptures, plus lots of people saw the risen Jesus. Over 500 people actually saw him. In verses 12 to 26, Paul moves on and makes a logical argument. It's actually very clever. He explains what it means for them and their faith if Jesus isn't alive. 
But he goes on to say that Jesus has been raised and he explains the implications of that. We're going to spend a few moments this morning thinking about his argument. And what we'll hopefully see is that these things are really true. Jesus really died and he really rose again. And as we think about these important truths, we'll hopefully be reminded of the hope that there is for us in the face of death. We're going to break this passage into two parts. Here's the first thing Paul says in these verses. He says, if Jesus hasn't been raised, we are liars, lost, and losers. If Jesus hasn't been raised, we are liars, lost, and losers. Look at what Paul writes in verses 12 to 15. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. In the simplest of terms, Paul considers himself a preacher of the gospel. What he says in verses 12 to 15 is that if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, then his entire post-conversion life has been a complete waste of time. All of the trials, all of the troubles, all of the persecutions that he went through have been for absolutely nothing. The, the, the word that he uses for in vain literally means empty. He's really saying that if you take the resurrection of Jesus out of the Christian faith, there's nothing left. But more than that, he says that he and his fellow preachers are found to be misrepresenting God if Jesus has not been raised. In other words, if Jesus has been raised, we're liars. We're lying about who Jesus is. We're lying about what God has done through him. And we're portraying God to be someone he's not. But Paul keeps his argument moving into verses 16 and 17. He says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. In other words, if Jesus hasn't been, re- <clears throat> if Jesus hasn't been raised, we're, we're lost. We're still in our sins. The, the great chasm between us and God is still there. The gap between God and humanity hasn't been bridged. If Jesus has not been raised, then his death didn't pay for sin and there's no hope, hope, there's no hope for life with God in heaven. In verse 14, but Paul talks about faith being empty if the resurrection isn't true. Here he writes of it being unable to secure any results. It's weak and it's ineffective. All talk of Jesus dying for our sins in accordance with the scriptures is meaningless if in fact he stayed dead. The unanimous teaching of the Bible is that the wages of sin is death. Death marks the end result of the separation between us and God that sin produces. If Jesus hasn't been raised, we're still in our sins, cut off from God and facing his judgment. And there's something else. If Jesus hasn't been raised, we're liars. We're saying that God has done something that he hasn't done. If Jesus hasn't been raised, we're lost. We're still in our sins. And if Jesus hasn't been raised, we're losers. Listen to verses 18 and 19. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, any expectation of life beyond the grave is gone. 
we're left with a watered-down gospel that doesn't really do anything significant for us. We're left with something that gives us meaning in this life, but it doesn't go any further. We're left with a good moral example in the person of Jesus Christ, someone who said nice things, did nice things, was generally kind to other people. If we follow him as our mentor, then we will live a fulfilled life. Paul sees this attitude to Jesus as pitiable and pathetic. He says that if Jesus hasn't been raised, if there's no resurrection, Christians are losers because they're holding on to something that does nothing for them and they're living in a way that they don't need to. What's Paul's argument so far? It's that if Jesus hasn't been raised, we are liars, lost, and losers. Our gathering together this morning at Slemish, this morning at church, is pointless if this is not true. The good news is that Paul isn't finished. The first three words of verse 20 are a hinge in this chapter. We're, we're, we're all familiar with hinges. We use them every day, probably without even realizing. Doors operate on hinges. When you open the door to your house, you're moving from outside to inside. You're moving from one place to another. In verse 20, Paul moves his argument on from the point of view of people saying that Jesus hasn't been raised to the truth of the resurrection. Look at what he says in verse 20. But, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That little word, but, is so small, but it's so important. It's used a lot in the Bible to, 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 to point out the amazing grace of God. Uh, think of Paul's detailed description of dark, sinful, broken humanity in Ephesians 2. He writes that we're dead in our sins and trespasses when we're apart from Christ. Having detailed our condition, he then writes, but God, being rich in mercy, but God. But Paul uses it in the same way here. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and his resurrection means certain things for us. The first part of Paul's argument is that if Jesus hasn't been raised, we're liars, lost, and losers. The second part of his argument is, but Jesus has been raised, so we have life now and life in the long term. Look at what Paul writes in verses 21 and 22. He says, for as by a man came death, by a man has, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul here compares Adam and Jesus. He says that they are representative human beings whose actions have a major impact on the whole of the human race. By a man came death, is Paul's shortened version of Genesis 3, the account of the fall of humanity. Adam's sin infected the whole human race so that ever since every human being has been born into sin, every human being except Christ. By a man comes the resurrection of the dead. It is Paul's shortened version for the victory of God in Jesus Christ. It's plainly put in verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. All those who trust in Christ now in this life have the hope of the resurrection in their hearts. If we know and love Jesus, then we can live with him and for him now. That'll mean going his way, following what the Bible teaches, serving him in his church, loving others in the, way that he, in the way that he has loved us. It's life in the truest sense, life in the way that it was really meant to be. 
And all those who trust in Jesus not only have life now, but they also have life in the long term. Look at verses 23 to 26. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Paul here talks about the end of all things and the resurrection of the dead on the last day. He says that when Jesus' people are resurrected and secure in his presence, the the final scenes of the cosmic drama will be played out. Jesus will be revealed as the King of kings and Lord of lords and will reign in sovereign power for all eternity. We're given a picture of that in verse 24. Jesus will destroy every rule and every authority and power. Paul means all the powers, human or spiritual, that are hostile to God's rule. He's saying that that they'll be gone. Every opposition to Christ's total rule will be liquidated. And death itself will be gone. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The first part of Paul's argument is that if Jesus hasn't been raised... We're liars, we're lost, and we're losers. The second part of his argument is that, but, but, but Jesus has been raised, so we have life now and life in the long term. And that's what we celebrate and mark on Easter Sunday. The fact that through our risen and exalted Savior, we can enjoy life with him in this world, and we can look forward to life with him in eternity. Today is a day in which Christians celebrate their resurrection hope the, the words of the last verse of the second hymn, the male voice group brought to us, ring true for all those who have trusted in Jesus. What riches of hope, now what treasures are mine, what a blessed foretaste of redemption, what oceans of happiness when we meet Christ and we're swept into his resurrection. Jesus has been raised. Christians aren't liars. We're not lost and we're not losers. In fact, we're on the winning team. And today is victory day. Easter also brings you into the valley of decision though. It challenges those of you who don't know Christ and who haven't trusted in him. The the, the punch in this passage is that you're either represented by Adam or you're represented by Jesus. Representation is a very important issue for us. In political terms, we want those elected to government to represent us well. The Bible tells us that there's representation in spiritual terms. If you're not a Christian here this morning, then you're represented by Adam. And what that means is that you're marked by sin and death, and you're heading to a lost eternity where you'll be separated from God. The question you've got to think through and and answer in your heart of hearts is, do I really want to be represented by Adam? Do, Do I really want to stand before God and say, I am a child of Adam? The, the, the consequences of you doing that are too unimaginably awful to consider. That, that means that the call of Easter Sunday is the call to come to know Christ, to be represented by him, to trust in him, to put your faith in him, to look to him as your savior from sin, and Lord of your life. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then Christians are liars, we're lost, we're losers. But, but, it's a significant but, but Jesus has been raised 
And that means that Christians have life now and life in the long term. Let me push you this morning. Do do you have the life that is in offer through Jesus' resurrection? If not, why not? My guess is that if you don't, you'll at least be familiar with Christian things, the content of the gospel, who Jesus is. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us a slam dunk argument that Jesus is risen and alive. Instead of continuing to reject him, Jesus calls you to trust him, to put your faith in him so that you can have life now and life in the long term. He's the person you can't ignore. He's the person you're going to meet one day. He's the person you need to trust now if you want to experience oceans of happiness in eternity. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for Resurrection Sunday. We know that we can celebrate and mark and remember Jesus' resurrection every Sunday. But on this particular day, we thank you that he is risen and alive. Father, we're so thankful that as Christian believers, we're not liars, we're not lost, we're not losers. But in fact, we are on the winning team, that Jesus has been raised. And that that means that we can have life now and have life with him forever in eternity. Father, we, we, we look forward to that day when we're swept into Jesus' resurrection. But until that day, we pray that as believers, you would help us to live faithful lives that honor our Savior. And we pray also that you'd speak to those who haven't yet trusted in Christ. Help them to see that these things are true and that they must respond to Jesus. Father, we're so glad to have been together this morning. We pray that you would bless your word to all of our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.